0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Berean Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Bream Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at Uh For those of you who are new here, uh, and I want to identify you or ask you to stand. I am not the pastor of the Brean Bible Church. Although I'm dressed as one today, many of you commented i thank you, thank you for that doesn't happen very often <laughs> um, I am as the bulletin aptly points out, Keith Kemper the elder uh, um, <laughs> as opposed to the younger who couldn't be here so uh, I think that's meant to reference that I serve on the board of elders, and since this is tour number three, there must be some reason they keep inviting me back. We haven't figured out what it is yet, but um We we have such good pastors that it's it's not very often that someone else gets asked to fill the pulpit. So this is, I was trying to figure out when the last time was. I think it's been roughly five years. And by the end of this morning's message, you'll understand why it's been roughly five years (laughs) since I was last allowed to stand up here and address you on a Sunday morning. Uh, It may surprise you to learn that I actually uh, trained and studied to be a pastor uh, it didn't take, as they say. <clears throat> there was there was some concern expressed by those who know what pastors are supposed to be like that perhaps I wasn't nice enough uh, to be a pastor. And uh, I think I've actually shared this with my wife. At, at some point, my mom told me, you know, Keith, the reason that you don't have any dates is you're not nice enough. Um, wonderful thing for a mother to uh, to say to her son. But somehow Kim found her way past it, and perhaps I could have found my way past that and made it into a pulpit somewhere. But as it turns out, I decided to choose a profession that was more in keeping with my personality. And so, as most of you know, I'm an attorney. <laughs> That's working out well. Uh, so. Matched my skills with my... See. Uh, the other thing you may not know about preaching uh, is... And maybe you just catch this because of who we have as our pastors, but preaching is very humbling. And I, I appreciate that Jim is a very humble man. And when I get a chance to speak, I understand what Gary and what Kevin and what Jim goes through. Before any of us can stand and talk to you, it, it requires this searching of our own heart, this evaluation of our own lives requires me to wrestle with all the things that i'm about to share with you and as i say that's humbling so i don't stand here today as one who has arrived on this topic Uh, i stand here as a sinner saved by grace as one who has many times prayed the prayer that gary mentioned last week you know oh god have mercy on me a sinner And I say that particularly here because the message I have to bring you to you this morning is not a popular message. And so it may reinforce the notion that it will be another five years uh, before I'm back. But it's one that the Lord's laid on my heart, and it will not come from me. My opinions and my thoughts will get mixed up in what I have to say, but my fervent prayer, uh, the prayer I've had all this week, was that As my dad used to say, that, that Lord, hide your servant in the cross. And that the words that I have to share will be God's words. You will take them as God's words and and weed out the things that are my thoughts and opinions and focus on what God has to say, because it's what he has to say, of course, that counts. Uh, With that in mind, I'd like to ask his blessing on this message before we really get started, so to speak. So let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you will... Hide me in your cross, that the words that I have to share will be yours, and Lord, even to the degree that I've planned them differently, that they'll come out in a way that's pleasing to you. Lord, give open hearts and open ears uh, this morning. Uh, Help us to wrestle with the things that you ask us to do, especially these things that just seem so difficult for us at times. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. This is, uh, this is a nice feature. Thank you. I am both fascinated and amused <clears throat> by the oxymoron. <clears throat> you know what an oxymoron is, right? If you're knowing, if you knowing nods, just, you know, you can just do this. You, know what the, you know, Nothing conspicuous. Darren, yeah. See you. have gotta pick on somebody there. Uh, yes, you know what the oxymoron is. It is, uh, defined as a Figure of speech, I think I actually pulled up the actual definition, figure of speech formed by the conjunction of two seemingly contradictory words or concepts, two things that don't seem to go together, that we place together in close proximity, even though they seem contradictory. I did bring examples, so um, you can bring up number one. You'll no doubt recognize some of these. I'll tell you what else is humbling. didn't have these five years ago this is a this is a new trick this is an oldie but a goodie I think you can fill in the blank the jumbo shrimp those don't seem to go together Um, next slide another well-known oxymoron Uh, for years Jordan tried to convince us that this is actually what was in his room country music this one um this one i think is probably pretty undeniable uh, number number four will have me on the couch tonight i'm sure but um she's standing there so proudly with her keys in hand and her bottle of water <laughs> and uh if you look closely, she does have a wedding ring on, and so sometimes there's going to be a, there's gonna have to be a phone call here, and I don't know what the explanation is going to be, but it's, it's going to be good. Um, and then a personal favorite of mine, uh, I, I, I have no idea what it is that we're doing there, but it's a marketing of some kind. <clears throat> sometimes there's there's things that you see in life that are just contradictory on their face. We call these, I suppose visual oxymorons. Some of these are they're sort of like a a joke grenade. It takes a few moments, but you know the explosion goes off um, i I think somebody actually messed with this image just by the you know quotation marks around security guard. I don't know if you can see him sleeping in the booth there, but um, uh, this next one was too too good to pass up. If you can't read it, it says psychic fair canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> I I don't know, but maybe you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't have been having a psychic fair to begin with if you didn't see that one coming. <clears throat> and um, I think this one speaks for itself too. Some some of you will get that one on the way home, I think. <clears throat> Uh, it takes us a while, but usually we can identify things that are contradictory. We're, we're pretty good at spotting the uh, the oxymoron. Uh, and they are amusing, for the most part. But every now and then we come across something that's seeming, seemingly contradictory, and uh, it's not so amusing. I was in the car with my daughter Casey, driving home from her school uh, about a week ago. I must have been driving, because I remember the conversation, so I must have been relaxed enough that... Uh, <laughs> i wasn 't doing that thing that father 's do in the passenger seat you know where i 've worn a hole through the floor on the passenger side at this point where i 've attempted to break periodically and um, but that that 's unfair she 's actually very talented. she has gotten us out of so many near misses <laughs> that she created that' uh, it 's it's, it's remarkable <clears throat> i think she 's going to do well uh, <laughs> So we're driving home, I remember this conversation, and, and, and she, just out of the blue, says, uh, Dad, is it, I hope I get the question right, but she says, Dad, is it okay for Christians to swear? I said, uh, no, I don't think so, but more importantly, God has a few things uh, to say about that, and then I do what good fathers do. I asked, why do you ask? And in her remark, again, I, I'll get the gist of it, probably not word for word. She'll correct, correct me later in, uh, if you ask her. It just seems like so many of the Christians around me swear. I begin to wonder whether it's really such a big deal. Now, mind you, I don't think she's talking about our home. Okay, I just need to get that out there uh, for me and my wife's sake. Um, We were coming from school, but that still grieves me because she goes to a Christian school. And yet repeatedly we're having these conversations about why is it that you've taken the time and expense to send me to a Christian school and I'm still surrounded by so many things that seem contradictory. We talked a little bit about what the scriptures say, the importance of God's word being better and uh, a better guide more important than what you see in the behavior of believers around you. But I found myself thinking after that, that what she was saying has been consistent with my own experience. And, you know, you you each have your own experience as well. You each have your own realms. Of course, I practice in the law. I guess it's not surprising that I deal with what I deal with in the people that I deal with. But I do deal with a lot of believers as well. And I am perpetually amazed how many F-bombs I deal with during the course of the week. I considered more what I've heard and read, and it seems to me that there are, it's not just cursing, this is not a message on cursing this morning, incidentally, uh, but that there is a shift, if you will, in the morality of the Christian church. You see it in the increase in uh, divorce in sexual immorality, in drunkenness. I mean, I'm going to get to in a moment a, a number of traits that the Barna Research Group studied, and so they're not necessarily moral areas that, you know, I came up with, but they're ones that have been, if you will, traditional Christian values. And it seems that there's a number of what I might call traditional Christian values that are disappearing as traditional Christian values. Now, I am just one guy. You know, I have my own opinions. I have my, my own experience. And so it's not very safe for me to come before you and say, hey, this is what's happening around the world in the, the universal church. So most of you are familiar with the Barna Research Group. Uh, Barna is a pollster. And, and, you know, their group does, you know, as professional of as polling as any group out there. And they poll in. But the Barna Group is a group of Christians. And so largely... A lot of the polling that they do, a lot of the data that they assemble is within those who claimed, you know, they'll pull non-Christians as well. But they, they are a good reflector for those of us in the church as to what's going on in the church. So um, if you can pull up that first slide, Cliff, uh, I, I went to, uh, I, didn't, I did a little of my own research here to see what the Barna, the Barna Research Group has come up with to see if my thoughts and conclusions are this are consistent with what Barna finding in you know, the world more generally, and certainly in the church, of the body of Christ. So Barna does this poll. Uh, it's basically a morality poll, and they did it in 06, and then they repeated it again in 09. Uh, and it has some pretty stunning uh, statistics that go along with it. So when Barna polled adults 18 to 25, he also polled adults, you know, from 25 to 45, which he calls the baby busters, and then, of course, there's the baby boomers, which are largely, you know, people born before in 1964 or earlier, um, some of you actually predate that, but I won't pick on you this morning. Um, although, can you read that? Good. Uh, so he, 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 he pulls them. It's a sample of like 7,000 adults. So it's way larger than most samples. And so it has, a, it has a high degree of accuracy. And as between these groups, he sort of measured the way that they approach different, what we'll call, moral values. But it's sort of the things that you might might think they'd pull. But, but here's what was stunning. Uh... In, in poll of adults 18 to 25, and this is both non-Christians and, and Christians at this point, he found that younger adults, uh, as a reflector of what's going on morally in our society, were four times more likely than baby boomers now. Okay, So folks my age, I'm mean right at the end of the baby boom. Uh, the, the generation that's coming up now is four times more likely to swear in public. So if I'm hearing more of that, it, it actually is that way. That's the way it's happening. Uh, nine times more likely, nine times more likely to have sex outside of marriage. And that's not just because I'm old. but it's, there's, That's just the values that they're being reflected here. Six times more likely to lie or cheat. Uh, our schools are dealing with an epidemic of cheating. And I hear that all the time, but here's a poll that reflects it. Three times more likely to get drunk. Twice as likely to view pornography. And twice as likely to go out and actually retaliate. Uh, take revenge against someone who has offended them now, sadly uh, the church isn 't a whole lot better. Can you pull up the ne- next slide cliff uh, for me, please uh, This is a poll of believers, and I point that out and and just so you know barnabas didn 't go and say, "Hey, are you a born again Christian?" to which people got a chance to respond, "Yes or no." rather, he actually tested, or the group i should say it 's not always Barna doesn 't so uh, tested. Their salvation by asking them the appropriate questions you know have you placed your faith in jesus christ are you committed to walking as jesus did and do you believe that because he's forgiven your sins that you'll spend eternity in heaven it sounds pretty christian right so that's he didn't say are you a born again christian ran through a series of questions and and decided who's which responders were believers based upon responses to those questions so you've, you've read ahead by now while i was yammering on Um, It says, he asked him whether it was acceptable to cohabitate prior to marriage. One third of Christians from the baby boomer era said that was acceptable. Now, I already find that hard to deal with, being a baby boomer myself, that there's a third of us, ostensibly, like you and me, in the church, that think that cohabitation before marriage is just fine. But if that's not bad enough, we've now reached a point where the generation coming up behind my generation is in the, the majority of Christians believe that it's acceptable for man and woman to cohabitate prior to marriage. And I'll read my last point. In other words, we're reaching a point where a majority of those who say they are committed to Jesus Christ have no problem with living together or having sex outside of marriage. Uh, That's shocking. I had an impression it was bad, and it got worse when I read Barna's research. Uh, I, I don't find that encouraging. In short, here's the way it breaks down. When you poll believers about their moral attitudes, uh, they score better, if you will, than non-believers. But here's the scary part. The way that the uh, percentages are changing is the same inside the church as it is outside the church. So, for example, in non-believers, 80% of non-believers say cohabitation is, uh, you know, it was You know, like 50% of the baby boomers said cohabitation is fine. It's like 80% of non-believers of the up-and-coming generation. Within the church, it's still, you know, one-third, two-thirds. But here's the uh, stunning fact, next slide, please, that I think we have to deal with. If you look at what the research shows, morality is shifting as quickly within the church from generation to generation as it is outside the church. So we may not be at the highest levels of immorality, if you will, but the values that supposedly we're transmitting to the next generation aren't taking they aren't catching on somehow it's missing thanks cliff that's that's all i need on the slides Uh, so i hope you ask yourself because i ask myself you know why why is this true why is this happening as you might imagine there's no one answer and it's not a it's not a simple answer that well it's this that there's one answer i can give you for all of the next generation, or for all of my generation, for that matter. There's, there's a host of things going on, uh, and you, you can't pick out one thing and say, we just changed this, the, the switch will flip, and everything will be different. What makes this topic hard to discuss is, I know, you know, you, you know we're talking about cohabitation, for example, uh, but the other morality issues you know th- that you saw were on the poll you know span a wide variety of things that we would put in the morality immorality individual purity individual integrity arena i know so many fine christian folks whose kids when they grow up you know don't give a rip don't follow their parents example and and you and i have a chance to look at those parents and say what did they do wrong now we, we may we may be asking the wrong questions. Maybe the parents did nothing wrong. You know, sometimes it's just nothing but the grace of God that that the next generation turns out well, despite all of our failings as parents. And and I'm hard pressed to explain to you how you know we can screw stuff up and our kid turns out well, and another couple does things you know by the you know the, biblically they did everything just perfect, and and the next generation turns out rebellious and and rejects those values so it's not it's not one easy answer and i know so many of you have struggled with the very things that i'm addressing and so th- this isn't intended to be hey you guys really screwed up this morning but it, it's intended to make us take a step back and think what is going on with the next generation of believers and is there something that we can do uh to deal with it uh I've lived just long enough that in my lifetime I've seen a number of shifts in the way that the church And I say the church broadly The church of the body of Christ presents the gospel Now I'm just old enough to know what my mom's generation uh, was like I, I can't really claim that this was my, my experience of my upbringing But I, I know there's people here this morning uh, That were the same age as my folks And you probably raised your kids the way that my folks raised their kids And some of you are young enough You know, Casey, I don't think you can relate to this at all but, you know, the gospel through the first half, at least, of the last century, and at least up until the 60s and 70s, was highly legalistic. Can you remember that? Uh, I mean, I can give you a few examples. Uh, in my home, we couldn't use playing cards. Uh, you didn't go to bowling alleys. Uh, you uh, you didn't go to the movie house, as it was called then. Uh, you know... I think my mom- my mom was forced to recite a phrase phrase before uh you know she was ever allowed to date is uh, you know we don't we don't cuss, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we, we're not allowed to date boys who do something like that, and then her and her, her sisters would uh would have to recite that you know everywhere they went, but you couldn't play pool and you couldn't play cards unless it was rook cards uh somehow those you know. It was said at both Seattle Pacific University and Grace Bible College that uh, the, the student handbook forbade premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. So, you know, the focus was on sort of, you know, you weren't supposed to dance, but the dancing was so bad in of itself that it was they almost had it backwards. It, it's a it's actually not, didn't say that, but. But in 1978, I was part of the very first class at Grace Bible College that was allowed to use playing cards on campus. This is what the church used to look like. We used to be very hung up on uh, some of these appearances. Now we didn't help that as soon as they let us use playing cards, we sat in the lounge with monopoly money and played poker. So that was, you know, we <laughs> sort of pandered to their worst fears, I suppose. Um, but there were just lots of things that Christians didn't do. In fact, Christianity was often defined by this list of don'ts. You don't do this, you don't do that. You know, well, what do you do? In fact, there actually was a Stray Cat song. That was, a, that was the lyrics to the song. You know, don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? Um, it's probably a valid question. In the 70s, you know, maybe because of the war in Vietnam, uh, maybe because of Nixon himself, maybe because it just lived through the 60s, uh, the church became very apocalyptic in its gospel. And we all sat down and we watched A Thief in the Night, and it scared us to death. And so we wanted to make sure that we weren't left behind when the rapture came, and we prayed for the rapture, and rather than get busy here and do things on this earthly plane to make the world a better place, we looked toward our heavenly citizenship. In the 80s came, the rapture didn't come, we came out of a deep recession, I won't get into why, Uh, we got busy here on the earth, we started making lots of money, we didn't want the rapture to come at that point, and we focused on God's blessings on us for working hard and voting Republican. (laughs) Now, we appear to be desirous to erase all of that as fast as we can, and to... Correct, if not overcorrect for all of the errors of the past. And heaven forbid we should ever be referred to as legalistic or holding absolutes. We're very focused on what we, we need to do here instead of being caught away. We've reached a point uh, even in the church where those who work hard or make money have now been become the villains. Uh, we had a nice march on May 1. You know, proclaiming that. I don't know how many believers were in, mixed in there, but I was pretty much saying those of you who work hard and make money, you're, you're, you're the bad guys now. And like I said, I think above all, there seems to be, there are still some people who think the church is legalistic. I'm a little stunned by that because, I, like I said, I, I doubt my daughter can even relate to anything that I just remembered about my parents and my childhood and, and, and how different it was. And, you know, I've been in Berean for a long time. been to lots of other churches. I don't see the church anywhere near where it was uh, in the pre-70s period. Uh, Are people still judgmental? Are people still capable of being legalistic? Absolutely. Is the church at large that way? Boy, I don't see it. Uh, Although there's lots of people who don't come to church, who that's what they remember. And so in their mind, uh, the church is still a legalistic place. But a lot of the rest of this is... Is the church merely mirroring, I should have never put those two words together, merely mirroring the society that's around us, society that believes in no absolutes, and that the only real sin is to be judgmental, or to be intolerant, or to believe that there are absolutes? That's really the only thing that we're against anymore. I I am so tolerant, but I hate intolerance. I hate hate, and I hate intolerance. I know that. That's what I know. Um, The pendulum has swung so far in the other direction from where we were that, uh, I don't mean this to be offensive, but the gospel as I hear it today is, as long as we teach the love of Jesus and are socially conscious, it almost doesn't matter what I say or do. As long as I teach the love of Jesus... And I'm socially conscious. Now, there is no debate, not here, not anywhere else in the church at large, that the love of Jesus Christ and our command to watch out for the widow and the fatherless and the orphan and the poor uh, are central tenets of the gospel. They are commands to you and I from God. Let's get that on the table right off the bat. But any time, whether it's any of those historical periods that I've lived through that you can remember, that we take some portion of the gospel and we overemphasize it to the exclusion of the rest of the counsel of God, we err. Now, as I said a moment ago, some of the reasons for why the church is moving away from biblical moral values, it's not a singular, simple, or solvable and 30-minute sermon issue. But here's part of it. Our current emphasis and actions suggest that we as a church are not serious about moral purity. That we're not serious about personal integrity. If we don't teach it, and if we don't model it, it's not going to happen. Now, as I said, uh, many of you here have kids. Uh, Most of you consider them a blessing from the Lord. Some days I do too. You can tell a child what the child should do. If you do not model what you just told the child, the child will do what you do, not what you said. Uh, I can give you a simple example. Uh, Casey used to be the most fastidious child, just this perfect child. Uh, maybe Teresa Shamari gets some credit for that. I don't think so. I think it was Kim. It wasn't, wasn't me that much, I can, I can tell you clearly. But, you know, do you remember it? I mean, I can barely remember it now, but she used to get up in the morning, the bed was made, everything was picked up, I mean, it was a sparkling room. And we wondered, whose child is this? And then that all changed. And we don't, you know, I don't remember when it changed now, but it just is not the same. And so at some point I noticed the change, you know, ventured down the hall, said, Um, you know, Casey, you used to be so clean. I'd sure appreciate it if you would make your bed in the mornings like you used to. You know what she said to me? Why you and mom never make your bed? We haven't talked about it again since that. Uh, (laughs) But that was very disrespectful and remind me to spank you when we get home. (laughs) Uh, Simple example. But uh, poignant, you could look at, you know, another, another good example is, you know, a, a, our kids can see all around them the, the bad that comes from smoking. And, you know, as a parent, you can even tell your kid, don't do that. It's not good for your health. But the statistics of what happens to a kid if the parent smokes, the, the likelihood that the child smokes is just, you know, it, it's 10 times higher. It's, it's an incredible statistic. And again, just proof that we can say everything that we want to say, but unless we model it in our homes and in our churches, uh, it's not going to happen. We can tell our kids how important it is to be in the Word. You need to be daily reading God's Word. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If if my daughter doesn't see me doing it, now thank God she has a good youth, good youth pastor. <laughs> Uh, and I got to say for, you know, there are weeks that come and go where case is better than I am. Uh, and that convicts my heart and that's what I'm thankful for having children as opposed to the messy bed issue. Well, what does God say? I told you it would be God's word this morning. Here's what I want you to do. We got just a few minutes left and we're going to take three or four and we're going to run through a host of pastors. I want you to take your Bible I want you to follow along like good Brians would to make sure that what I'm telling you is true. Uh, if nothing else this morning, I'm gonna give you a good reminder of what God says about these, some of the things, some of these things that Casey asked me a question about. Uh, or some of the things that were in Barnum's poll. Uh, it's, it's easy to forget them sometimes. It's easy to focus on these other things that we think are just so important and let go of some of the things we should remember. So I'm gonna call them out. I'm gonna read them to you. I'd ask that you turn to them. And follow along, and so that you're using two senses at once. You're using your eyes and using, using your ears, and you're making sure that I'm doing this right. So I'm reading from the NIV, despite the fact that last night at the baseball game, someone handed me a track that said I needed to repent and follow the Jesus Christ of the King James Bible. Uh, but I have an NIV here, um, and I'm going to do my best to muddle through with that. Follow along with me, won't you? First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And uh, since i got to turn to all these, you ought to be able to do it in the same amount of time. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Turn uh, a little further back, First John. First John chapter 2. So we, we, we covered one one of the big three disciples there. Let's cover another one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anybody obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Uh, Flip over to uh, 1 John chapter 5. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 8 it is god's will this is god's command if you love him you're going to obey his commands It is God's will that you should be holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we've already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Again, it's not my words. It's his. Ephesians chapter 4, and this is a long passage, but we're going to read it this morning because it's a good one. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. I'll start in 17 and then you'll catch up by the time I get to 20. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. This is Paul describing his culture then. He could have been writing about our culture now. I, I don't see a tremendous difference. Verse 20. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by de- deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must must steal no longer. Stealing looks different now. You know, it's somebody's copyrighted materials. It's file sharing. It's stuff from work. But stealing is stealing in any age. And God says, don't do it. Instead, do something useful, uh, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. It doesn't just say cursing, it says, no unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Skip down to verse 3 of 5. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. They're an oxymoron but rather thanksgiving. We can stop there. Wow, that's quite a list. And it's put in pretty strong terms. It's not just don't do that, but don't even let there be a hint of this or don't even get near that or stay completely away from this other thing. That sounds sort of legalistic, doesn't it? (laughs) I don't think God can be legalistic. I think God's just God. And he says, you know, don't do that. And you say, yeah, no, I won't. I mean, isn't that the way it's supposed to work? I mean, this isn't setting up false things that you're not supposed to do like dancing so that you don't do the, the, the evil thing. This is God saying, don't do the evil thing. And we're missing it. We're doing the evil thing because we're busy doing what we think he wants us to do. I, I, I'm not sure I understand that. Jesus Christ and his gospel is all-inclusive. Jesus Christ says to the sinner, whosoever will may come. Come into the family of God. You're saved by grace. But he also says, once you join the family, you need to grow up. You need to start acting like a member of the family. You need to put off the things that you used to do. You need to stop dressing like a bum and you need to start acting like a member of the family. Uh, Metaphorically speaking, those of you who are dressed like bums this morning. um, I can only say that because I'm in a suit. He says, I died to make you holy. Be holy. How many times did we read that in just the passages that we looked at? And we could have spent a lot more time. Oh, and yeah, there's this. If you love me, you will do these things that I ask. A lot of people say they love Jesus. And they live like the devil. And those two don't go together. Why is this important? Well, God says it is. We just, I just rush you through, again, just a very small sampling of verses. God says this is a big deal. Why Is, it, is swearing a big deal? Yeah, he says so. I mean, I, I don't know why the Christians around you swear, sweetie, but God says it's a big deal. Someone's not calling him on it. Someone's not saying, hey, you know what? God thinks that's a big deal. Sex outside of marriage is a big deal to God. He says so a number of times in here. In fact, he says that hurts the other people around you. You're offending other people when you do that. You know, somebody's daughter, somebody's son, someone else's wife, someone else's husband. He says that it's important to us because God's holy. And because he's holy, when we do these things that he asks us not to do, it offends him. It offends his holiness. He died to set us apart, to make us look distinct. And yet here we are not doing anything to make ourselves look distinct. Look distinct. And he actually says this is part of loving others. This is part of doing what you're supposed to do. And oh, by the way, everybody else, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, knows what you're supposed to be doing as a Christian. The world knows. Uh, You know, they know what the oxymoron is. I'll turn to this real quickly, and this will be... Uh, pretty much our last passage this morning. James chapter 3 says this, verse 7, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed, and have been tamed by man. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. We can spot the oxymoron. We know uh, that those things don't go together. And like I said, the worst thing is that so can the rest of the world. I will never forget when I was driving a big red truck for Coca-Cola. did that for five years, paid my way through law school. I I worked with a number of other believers. A good friend of mine, his name is Paul, very outspoken about his faith. Always appreciated that about him. Except for he couldn't control his tongue. So, you know, we're in the workroom, we're at the end of the day, we've got all the bags of money, that's sort of fun. Uh, I don't think they do it that way anymore. Uh, doing the paperwork and he's running the money through the ch- change changer and it jams and he drops, you know, a choice word. And the non-believer guy, Dick, standing next to him and says, he just stops and he looks at him and said, I didn't think Christians were supposed to talk like that. Uh, Paul had been sharing, you know, his faith on and off uh, in the office for at least a year at that point And, you know, one slip of the tongue and the guy who's not a believer calls him on it. Of course, Paul says, well, you know, being a Christian means you're forgiven, not perfect. <laughs> it went out, it went over about as well there as it did, as it just did here. Uh, <clears throat> how many Christians don't, how many non-believers don't come to church uh, because of what they see in us who claim to be Christians, who don't live according to what we say uh, we stand for? But uh, here's, here's the rest of it. Uh, unless you think it's only non-believers who are turned away by our shortcomings uh, the Word of God has much to say about our example to other believers. You know, we, we don't have time this morning to turn to Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians 8 or a number of passages where Paul talks about causing other believers to stumble. That sort of brings us full circle to Casey's question that she asked me. Why do all these other believers around me talk like this? And is it a big deal? My 15-year-old is asking, is it a big deal? Because you know What? It takes incredible strength of conviction when others who you respect in the faith behave in a way that you know is contrary to what God's Word says. That's really hard. That causes a 15-year-old who's very committed to Jesus Christ to ask, Dad, is it really a big deal? And consider what the overall effect is in our culture. If we, who are the church, the body of Christ, appear to not give a rip about the things that they all believe and they all know are part of being a Christian. Uh, I struggled this week about what to, t- what to talk about. Uh, you know, when you only preach every five years, when you finally get the opportunity, it's, uh, <laughs> what do I say? You know, it's sort of like you know when your, your teacher in school, and most of you can remember this, says, well, I want you to write a short story. Okay, on what? Uh, whatever. You know, if you, if you actually got to think of the characters and the plot and all that stuff, that's really hard. You know, can't you tell me what it's supposed to be about and then I can write on it? So you put it off and you put it off and you can't think of anything to write about. And then, you know, the day comes when it's due and your head pops off the pillow and you go, oh no. Uh, because you couldn't think of anything to write about. Uh, I didn't have a problem uh, figuring out what to talk about this week. Because in addition to Casey's question, I, I had this, I had this one other event happen in my life. Uh, I I had lunch with a good friend of mine, a believer, an older believer than me. So someone that I respect. And he's a good man, a prayerful man, uh, generous toward the poor. And so we sit down at lunch, and we're sitting in the sun (laughs) on a weekday, weird. And and he starts to tell me the story of a mutual friend of mine, uh, another believer. uh, Someone who I also know, loves Jesus. And... You know this other friend of ours, this other God-loving guy. He's been through just you know terrible circumstances, and he'd been engaged, and now he's not engaged, and it was terrible breakup. And it you know they were such a lovely couple, an exemplary couple, a Christian couple, and, and you wonder, okay, you know why did that have to happen? But in the course of talking about this, I learned that you know his his earlier fiance got engaged, and he was really depressed. So, But then he finally found a woman. He started dating her. And then I learned who the woman was. And it was a woman I knew. And I knew that woman was married. And as I'm talking to my other believing friend, who's sitting across the table from me, he says, yeah, I had this conversation with him. And, you know, I just asked her point blank, do you love him? And she said, yeah. And, I, and, and and it was like, it was all good at that moment. And And then he's describing how our mutual friend described it to him. And he says, You know, what's hard for me in this relationship, you know, I love her, but what's hard for me is I keep butting up against what I used to believe was right. And then my friend who I respected said, you know, but he, you know, he doesn't believe that way anymore. (laughs) And part of the problem was her parents were being too judgmental. They were saying, wait a second, you don't have grounds for divorce here, and you're not even divorced, and and here you're dating someone else. And and so much of the conversation was, wow, are her parents ever off base here? And he doesn't believe that way anymore. And I tried to make those make sense in what I see God saying to us as the church of the body of Christ, and I can't do it doesn't believe what way anymore? That God still hates sin? That God's still holy and that he's offended by adultery? That there will be consequences for those who engage in behavior that he says is sinful? Have we really reached a point in the church where we can't proclaim the love of Christ and Reach out to the poor and still hold on to the holiness that God has called us to. Now, I'm just a guy. My opinions don't mean very much here. Uh, And what I've shared with you this morning is not a call to return to legalism. I hope you didn't hear it that way. It's not a call to judge your fellow believers or become more judgmental of people who struggle with these things. It's not a call to sinless perfection. I don't think anybody here believes that that's what uh, Christ has called us to. Think of it as a wake-up call. Not from me, but from the Word of God. A reminder that He's a holy God, and He expects you and I to be holy as well. here this morning. I appreciate you letting me go a, a little over This was to make up for Gary's... i got to get out of here because I'm having a baby last Sunday, so... Borrowed some of time before. I hate to leave you with these thoughts. It feels like a half-preached sermon, doesn't it? Because we don't get a chance to practically discuss, okay, what do I do now? Like every great thing that happens, like every great movement, it starts with the individual. It starts with me, and it starts with you. So with that thought in mind, do this one thing this week do it with me because this is going to be my prayer certainly this week we'll see how long it lasts and it's david's prayer from psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 search me O god and know my heart test me know my thoughts see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting let's leave with that thought this morning